Okay. So basically, uh, the question that you're asking is about what comes next. And that uh, um, you have that, uh, you use the phrase switching from uh, basically unhappiness to happiness. Well, when I notice, uh, when I notice, or when I, when I notice, uh, sorry, Mara or like Dukkha, I notice that like arising and then I try, I take a deep breath and then um, I, yeah, I guess I try to let go of or like not think or forget of whatever the bad thing is and then I'll try to think about something like happy or something like that. Okay. Or try to like focus on the feeling of like on my skin or something like that or like something in the present moment. Um, All right. But isn't that then the switch? The switch to the present moment? Well, the switch out of unhappiness into happiness. The switch is into the present moment. Right. When you come out of the past into the present moment, you have actually made that switch. Yeah. Okay. I've actually made that switch. Yeah, you made it then. Okay, yeah. I guess what I would be... Okay, so it feels like there's a lot of things going on. Like, okay, so like maybe I'll be in... You know, maybe I'll have some like background anxiety plus some like anger on top of that or something. It's like, okay, um, I can forget about, you know, the anger on top. And then there's like, I don't know, there's almost like a physical location to it. It's like, okay, like it now feels like my like upper body is relaxed, but like there's still this pit in my chest. And it's like, okay, now I got to forget about my chest or something like that. Um, Sorry if I'm not speaking well today. All right. I understand what you're saying, and you're looking at it from the very typical Western point of view. Yeah. You even talked about that stuff um, as if it were in a pile, Hmm. or that there was a lot of it. And that uh, speaking that way um, puts us in the victim's position, Hmm. because there's a lot of it. Okay, but that statement is grandiose. It's a grandiose statement. Yeah. Uh, And that it's coming from the victim's position. A more accurate thing to say would be that things come up and come up and keep coming up. That's true. Yeah, that's, yes. Okay. But when one thing comes up, that's just something that came up. Okay, so it's not a, okay, that makes a lot of sense. It's not a pile. Yeah, you're right. It's, it is like, I've switched, okay, maybe I've been, I've chosen, like, switched to happiness for a second, but then I'm, like, switching back to something else. It's, like, not that it's a pile. Okay. All right. So, if in this one particular moment, you can throw out one unhappy thought and take one deep breath and have one deep relaxation with one nice smile, then that's the practice. And that leads to 
one happy knowledge that you can do that because you just did it. Mm -hmm. If you can keep doing that, you've got all you need. Anything that ever comes up in the future, if you have mindfulness at that point, in other words, if you wake up to what you're doing, then you can handle that one also in the same fashion. And it doesn't matter whether it is a bodily sensation or a pain. It doesn't matter if it is a, a thought or a recurring thought or a feeling or a thought feeling complex. An example of a thought feeling complex, and I think almost everybody goes through this, though many people haven't done it yet in their lives. But generally, everybody's mother dies. It is possible for a child to die before the mother, but then the mother is going to feel the same way. And that is a lot of grief when someone dies. And that can last over a couple of weeks or so, sometimes longer. But it doesn't have to. Because every time that grief complex comes up, maybe a thought or an image of mom, followed then by uh, a gut-wrenching feeling of sadness or loss, you can say, okay, but she's dead, and me feeling bad right now about it is not going to help her come back alive. Okay. And probably yeah. I haven't lost anything because she's been living in another state or another county all this time anyway. And so we can actually talk our way back out of the grief that we talk ourselves into. We can do that. We can talk ourselves back out of that. Now, in an attempt, when, when an occurrence like that, when you lose something, it's very, very typical for us humans to go through a grieving process of, over the loss and that grief process will be there even if you trade in your old car and get a new one. There will be moments of grief when you get into that new car and say, the old car was better than this mm-hmm. in some way. Okay. Um, or in, in some cases, I even feel more comfortable because that feature of the car and the old car was broken. <laughs> All right. So basically, we, we have a feeling of loss when we've lost something. Mm-hmm. And I'm only using that as an example because when we lose something, then every time that we rethink about it, we'll go through that sense of loss again. Okay. And so it's just recurring. It just recurs. If we can catch that, we can stop it. If it recurs again, we can catch it and stop it. And every time we catch it and stop it, we can feel good because we recognize I caught it again and I stopped it again. And I don't have to feel bad. Okay. Yes. And I'm a champion. Okay. There's not a lot of this stuff. Only one thing comes up at a time. Only one thing comes up at a time. Only one thing comes up at a time, generally. And yet, we feel overwhelmed by a whole lot of stuff. 
But when we say we feel overwhelmed, and when we feel overwhelmed, that's not during a time that we're listing every little problem that we've got. Hmm. It's a feeling <clears throat> of being overwhelmed. And that's just a feeling that we got used to. Mm-hmm. And so when that when uh, the feeling, whatever it is inside, that there is the feeling of being overwhelmed, then you can say, aha, I see that feeling of being overwhelmed also. And I can take a deep breath. And I can come back to the present moment and realize, no, right now, sitting around, I'm safe. I'm not overwhelmed. Okay, so I guess there's a couple thoughts from that. It's like one is like maybe I'm not mindful. Maybe I'm not being mindful when I sit down in that. Or maybe when I sit down most of the time, I'm not being mindful. Let's call it a way of looking at it as a skill to be developed. Yeah. um, And we're more likely to want to develop that skill once we see that when we put it into practice, it works. And that the biggest problems with life is when we don't have that sati to wake up to see what the mind is doing. So perhaps we can say it this way, that a mind moment comes, a bad feeling happens, we don't uh, have sati. And so that bad feeling and thought just grinds on. But then three or five minutes later, something else happens. Let us say that you were grieving over your dead mom, and while you were grieving over your dead mom, you closed the door and banged your thumb, caught it in the door. So now you've got a new grief. Okay, but soon the thumb will stop hurting, and then we'll go back and think about dead mom again. Yeah. And meanwhile, generally, because we're already in a bad mood, we can find fault with everything. So everything we see, when we see it, we're dissatisfied with that. So we go from one moment of dissatisfaction on this issue to something else we're dissatisfied and something else we're dissatisfied with. And then later you come back and you would end the conversation. You'd say with somebody, I'm overwhelmed with all of this stuff. Where in fact, oh no, every moment it was only one issue and that you were not dealing with that issue and it just kind of went away and then another issue came up. But when we have the idea, oh, I'm going to start to be mindful, I'm going to start watching the kind of thoughts that I have. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have the intention of having good, wholesome thoughts. And, and have the intention that when I catch myself having unwholesome thoughts, then I'm going to throw those unwholesome thoughts out in that moment. Mm. And that's the whole practice right there, is in this present moment, can you throw out the bad thought or the thought that's unwholesome? Okay. So and now so- we get dedicated, okay, I'm going to start getting some sati here. I'm going to I'm going to become dedicated or or um, I'm going to have the enthusiasm. I like the word enthusiasm because enthusiasm is uh, um, a winner's attitude. 
as opposed to devoted. Devoted is not necessarily winner's attitude. Okay, so I guess like, uh, so when I sit down and I say, I notice something or, or I notice um, something unwholesome and I say, aha, in that moment, I feel, or there's like a, like a, there's an amount of energy and there's an amount of like sati that's like, okay, yeah, I'm no longer in that. Like I'm in the present moment. Like I've mm -hmm. decided to change my mind. Um, and then I can let that slip back to an unwholesome thought or something like that before well, I like I've completely exhaled. Rather than saying I let it slip back into an unwholesome thought, we can just say that, in fact, the Buddha uses the term adventitious defilements. And what we mean by that, well, actually, the Buddha didn't say it. That was one of the translators. <laughs> but we can use that in the sense of that defilements come up when they have an opportunity to, when they find an advantage. And so... Um, an example of that is the grief over mom dies does not happen when the kid moves out of the house. But that's when the relationship is basically over. The needing of this woman to be my mommy is past. And she's in another country or in another village or in another town. And we're not there. And that happens all over the United States, especially more so than most other countries where people are, are um, in communication with their mom only by telephone. Don't see her but once a year. And yet when she dies, the real relationship was over. It's not like the same as you had a loving spouse and you lived with them all day and then they died. Now you've really lost something. But when we've lost a relative that we haven't been living with, that means that that death kicks off that or brings up the advantage for that loss and that feeling of grief. Okay. Okay. But that feeling of loss and feeling of grief is basically instinctual and that we don't have to feel that way. Now, I know there's a whole lot of people over there that would say, oh, that means you don't love your mother. Well, this is not an issue about love. <laughs> that, in fact, now that mom's dead, there's not much of anything to love. But we've still, every time that we think of mom, we start to feel bad. Wouldn't it have been more marvelous for a person in that situation that when mom dies, we remember all of the marvelous qualities of her. And we do it that way, then we're not being selfish. We actually are thinking about her and her marvelous qualities and gaining joy from that. But mostly it's, oh, poor me, I've lost my mommy. When in fact, <laughs> you haven't really lost anything. Yeah. The same thing is true about trading that car in or selling your car. I remember one time it was a BMW. It happened, uh, uh, the circumstances were this way. 
that when I was going into the Navy, I decided to sell the motorcycle. And so I put it up for sale at, the, at a dealer who I knew. And then after a while, I decided, wait a minute, I want that motorbike. I can use it now. I, I, I thought that I wouldn't have an opportunity. Sailors don't use motorbikes on board ship, you know. <laughs> but I wasn't. I called him and asked not to sell it, and he says, I just sold it. Opportunity to feel bad, right? And then he felt bad. Yeah. Now is when I lost that bike. Is not when I set it up for sale, but when I found out that it was sold. That's when I feel bad. Because I recognize that I wanted it. Okay, so this is how we do that. If we can take that particular example, we can recognize that that happens all the time. A conversation that we didn't finish, and then later we'll think of that conversation in that same regard. Oh, I've got to go do something about it. Or I want something that I don't have. Okay, but within Anapanasati practice, the whole idea is to wake up, to recognize, oh, I want something that I don't have, and I'm making myself miserable because I don't have something that I want. But I really didn't want that much anyway. <laughs> After all, I did put it up for sale. <laughs> so we, if we start lose, using logic and reasoning and, and look through things, we can recognize that my feelings are not all of that important when it comes to the reality. And yet most people allow their lives to be driven by these feelings that keep coming up and coming up. And when they do come up, then the, then the student will feel overwhelmed by it mm. and use words like overwhelmed because basically what's happened really is, is that things came up and they weren't mindful. Things came up, they weren't mindful, things came up. And so now that piling up is actually just a piling up in the mind. Because that means that we had a little bit of awareness to recognize that it was there, but we didn't have enough sati to fully wake up. This is the whole idea about sati, is to wake up enough to see what we're doing as dukkha or as unwholesome. Yes. And when we wake up to it, then we recognize, oh, that too is unwholesome right now. Now I can take a deep breath and throw that out. Okay, so, yes, I was having a particularly, oh, like, I, so I was having a particularly rough time yesterday and I was able to sit down and be like, I don't have to feel that. Like, I feel really good right now. Um, uh, and it was wonderful, or it, it was whatever it was, but, like, um, I guess just... Uh, okay, so, yeah, if I have that, like, can-do... Like, if I have that enthusiasm or that, like... Um, if I have that sadi, it's like, yes, I can forget these things and notice that I'm just sitting here and that's mm -hmm. it. Um, is there like an element of like, I, okay, so like I want to sustain that. I would like to be there, there, well, there would be less advantages 
or less room for opportunities for um, defilements or whatever to sneak yes. in. So it I feels like there's this energy here that, like, I want to be like, aha, like, but over, like, not just like, aha, 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 but just like, aha, like, continuously. I don't know if that okay. makes any sense. Is this that obvious? This is how we can look at it. There is actually a sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya, and uh, it is specifically talking about the first jhana, and um, there are no other suttas that have this uh, information about any of the other jhanas. Um, another example of that is is that uh, we know within the practice of Anapanasati and uh, the Satipatthana of the body, the feeling, the mind, and the mind's objects. Sutta number 119 is actually Kaya Nupasana, or mindfulness of the body. So you would expect then for them to be three other suttas. One for mindfulness of the feeling, another in mindfulness of the mind, and another in mindfulness of the uh, the uh, the dhammas of the mind or the dhamma nupasana. Nope, there's only one. There's only the one sutta about the body, also about this first jhana. So this is something about the first jhana that um, is unique because this is not discussed with the other jhanas. In fact, whenever the other jhanas are discussed, they're always discussed as a package to where the first jhana is referenced by itself in number of places. All throughout the, uh, the suttas, you will see this occurring, that we're talking about first jhana. Over here, we're talking about first jhana. When we do talk about all uh, the other jhanas, we always talk about them in a package. In other words, two, three, and four, and the re and the uh, uh, the features of the fourth jhana. So this is kind of unique. The first jhana has something special about it. Back to that uh, sutta, and that is is that the su uh, the first jhana uh, we need to develop the skill of getting into the first jhana easily, that that's the skill to be developed, is to be able to get into the first jhana easily. And then the next skill which we want to talk about is the one that you mentioned here, and that is to be able to keep it, to sustain it. And so these are the two twin features that you want to start working on, is to get into it, and you don't almost think of, wait a minute, I can either do one or the other. In other words, if I'm practicing sustaining the first jhana, then I don't have much opportunity to get into the first jhana. But if I can't sustain it, that means that I have awful opportunity to practice getting back into it. Yeah. All right. But we do need to develop both skills. And so um, there, there's going to be time throughout the day. That's another thing that um, uh, a lot of students, when they first get started or when they see it uh, from a distance, they think that the practice of Anapanasati, which they're using the word meditation, is something that we do squatting on the floor. Okay. 
and that it might have a bit of ritualized stuff, special cushions, a special altar with special candles and special incense and all kinds of other stuff like that for some people. Um, and when you go for a retreat, that's certainly what people are doing. And also, in the time of the Buddha, the monks were just kind of hanging out, sitting around. So what we have done over the course of many centuries is, is that we've overly formalized the practice. It's been overly formalized. We put clocks. That's one of the biggest formalizations. We could almost go so far as to call meditation that people do as an empty ritual because it doesn't gain them real value because they're they're sitting there because they want something out of it. In other words, yeah. if somebody puts in 20, 30, 40,000 hours of meditation, they'll eventually get some results out of it. Kind of like a level five Buddhist and you'll get no the such special thing. card in if, the mail. If you cannot get benefit out of your practice right now, then what's the point of continuing it? Yeah. Okay. Is and and there are some systems that are like this. Like if you keep banging your thumb with a hammer, eventually you're going to have the biggest, brightest, most beautiful thumb in town. No, I think you're going to have a bloody mess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is how we kind of look at it is is that this is a skill to be developed and that we're wasting our time if we are not working specifically to get into the first jhana and to maintain that first jhana and that the real hallmark about that is whether we're having wholesome thoughts or unwholesome thoughts that's the trick. If we don't have, uh, if we have unwholesome thoughts, thoughts of loss, thoughts of grief, thoughts of this isn't good enough, all of that kind of thinking, um, which basically has to do with either wanting something we don't have or wanting to no longer put up with something that we find unpleasant. These are the two kinds. And another one which we could add to that list would be along with that one that we don't that we want to get rid of. And that is I would go so far as to use the word violence. Or harming ourselves. That we actually do things to harm ourselves. One of the ways that we would harm ourselves is by. Let us use the example of the fox hunt. That while those uh, guys on their horses and their dogs are out chasing the fox, tally-ho the fox, they're having a ball. But they're causing that fox a great deal of difficulty. Yeah. Right? So in that way, we kind of harm ourselves on the inside because we go around chasing our own tail or we go around chasing a fox on the inside of our mind, we can call this restlessness. Mm -hmm. And underlying that restlessness is, is going to be an agitation. 
And that agitation underlying that, or let us call that agitation also anxiety, underlying that is going to be a fear. Okay, so that means that basically things are layered. But what we see is just one at a time. It's almost like that if you've got a pile of papers on your desk, the one paper that you have to deal with is the one on top, not the whole pile. Okay, so... you're saying there'll be like a opportunity for like some sort of defilement to sneak in and then but and then there's like this big stack of papers that these things will like these little defilements will be like coming into your mind. Um, so like what were you saying? There's some like some that are one more basic, there's some like fears, but it's like one at a time and they're like waiting for an opportunity to come in. And so like say you forget one of them, then maybe, you know, you throw that one off the top and then that leaves the next defilement to pop into your mind at the next opportunity. Yes, exactly. And we can see then that by having a restless mind of having to one thing come up after another, after another in the mind is a kind of restlessness. And it looks like a whole pile of stuff, but in fact, it's only one thought at a time. Okay. So it's like, I'll be feeling restless. But that is one thing that I'm, okay, sorry, yeah, I'm just repeating what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, it's just one thing I'm at a time, like, yeah, I'll be feeling that background anxiety or like, yeah, maybe there's some opportunity for anger to arise or something like that. But it's always one thing at a time. One thing at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, And you could also say some things are like one thing at a time, but every time that it recurs, it goes up a notch. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Everything, the oh, question, because it would, yeah, it has more power the next time, or it has... Right. In other words, if I... I can't hear you anymore. 